Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, we are treated to a film with a stellar cast. We've got three Oscar winners and an Emmy winner, too. Not bad, right? Well, sadly, their talents are wasted in a strangely dark rom-com that fell very short with the critics. Oh, come on. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films. The bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the 201st episode of Hops and Box Office Flops presented by Wobam Entertainment. We are the internet's only bad movie and good beer podcast endorsed by the Little People's Defense League. It's the little things in life that matter. Really? Two puns already? Hey, that's the movie's tagline. That's solid material. This is going to be a long night. Wow, yeah. I, Chumpzilla, will be hosting tonight for the first installment in our Hops and WTF flop series, where we'll be reviewing movies that are beyond bafflingly bad. And for tonight's episode, we'll be talking about the unholy abomination that is 2003's Tiptoes. Are you guys excited? Uh, About as as excited as a Marxist could be. Wow. Well, I mean, at least you know what you are. Yeah. Joining me on this episode. I know what I am. (laughs) (laughs) Joining me on this episode is the pod's resident full-size struggling writer, the Thunderous Wizard. Hi, I'm Rolf. <laughs> oh, that accent. Yeah. Uh, and we've also got our morphine cough syrup enthusiast, Bling Blake. French! I'm proud to be French! I don't eat this swill! <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm sorry. Do you do you think Dinklage's French accent, where does it rank on the, like, we got mm. Eugene Levy... Uh, we got, uh, 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 what's his face? Idris Elba. Idris, mm. thank you. Mm-hmm. What, what's his extremely handsome face? Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, it's a solid step and a half below Eugene Levy. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, mean, at least, at least trying, Eugene was for it's comedy. Good. Right, yeah. yeah, that was supposed to be bad. That was, yes, that was the point of, I'm Guy Fontenot. Yeah. Yeah, Dinklage is trying, but yeah, he needed a coach on that or something. But anyway, as always, you can find the pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find us just about anywhere you can download the finest podcasts. And don't forget to check out Wobam Entertainment at Wobam E-N-T on Twitter and Instagram for all of your LPDL content needs. And gentlemen, oh boy, I say this every time, but I mean it this time. We're going to need beer for this one. So here we are. And for tiptoes, I have selected a Chumpzilla local beer. It's a summer seasonal release from Woodstock, Georgia's Reformation Brewery. It's their Glow Stick IPA. It is an American style IPA with a strong, like piney and like dank notes to it. Uh, And that's thanks to the Mosaic, Chinook, Citra, and a couple varieties of Cascade hops. So this guy pours like a mostly clear golden yellow. Uh, it's not hazy, but it's got a little bit of color, or a little a little bit of a, a opaqueness to it. And then it's got a couple of solid fingers ahead on it. 
And sadly, though, it does check in with a Captain Cash disappointing 6% ABV. But thanks to that reasonable ABV, I can easily give this smooth drinking IPA a three bad movie rating. Uh, Reformation has multiple locations here in the North Georgia area. So if you're in the neighborhood this summer, I definitely recommend checking out Glow Stick. Cheers. Strong choice picking a beer called Glow Stick while Bonnaroo is happening. There you go. See, I figured it ties in a little bit because I bet uh, Patricia Arquette's character probably has a few glow sticks in her purse. Well, her physical body yeah. would be at Bonnaroo. But how, <laughs> how would this movie be better or worse on psychedelic drugs? Worse. Well, I tried to. It would, it would cause an existential crisis. I put crystals and rocks all over my body to heal after watching it. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Didn't work. Still yeah, felt like death. Yep. Yeah. Didn't really help uh, Dinklage either. But uh, anyway, so this movie is infamously bad, and uh, it's mostly known for the memes. Uh, the director and the writer uh, is a gentleman by the name of Matthew Bright, and. He's not super famous, but the guy did have some uh, indie cred uh, from working with Danny Elfman and his brother, actually, on some uh, early stuff together. So he was in that Oingo Boingo um, circle. And then he also uh, wrote and directed a small C cult movie called Freeway uh, that came out in 96. And it stars a very young Reese Witherspoon in her second film, along with uh, Kiefer Sutherland. I have uh, uh, have seen Freeway. I wouldn't say I like it, but I do know that people do like that movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's better than this. It's more commercial than this, you know, for an R-rated uh, type movie. Uh, but more on that later. Uh, I'll bring it up uh, at the end of the pod. Uh, but this movie effectively killed Bright's career. And I hate to say it, but maybe for good reason. Because <laughs> he hasn't done a whole lot else. Well, uh, I mean, I would say like... If he had just directed it, well, it's not his fault. But having also written it, yeah, it's a very odd, odd movie. Yeah, with it, you know, there are things that it has to say that are just surrounded by nonsensical plot mm. points. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is a like Hallmark after school special message that this movie has, but like it's packaged in a really weird way. And again, as I mentioned in the opening, we've got an all-star cast here, as well as several recognizable little people actors. Uh, The leads are played by Matthew McConaughey and Gary Oldman as twins. Um, And mind you, that's Gary Oldman playing a dwarf as McConaughey's twin brother. Um, You've got Kate Beckinsale playing McConaughey's love interest. Peter Dinklage plays a surly French Marxist who's dating uh, Patricia Arquette's new age hippie dippy girl character. <laughs> Wait a minute. Dating is a loose term. He picks her up on the side of a highway well, and then yeah. they just spend the rest of the movie together. And then well, presumably movie... it ends in like maybe tragedy because yeah, they might have killed murder. each other. Yeah. Yeah. They just disappear at the end. But I mean, this yeah. movie does span almost two years. Like they don't uh, yeah. really hammer it... that home, but like they, they, they it starts before she's pregnant uh it's the baby is 10 months old at the end yeah now she's pregnant at the beginning right but i mean she but just 
Right. And then we have the baby. So the, the main portion I'm of the sorry. movie covers It's nine. 20 months. I didn't mean to say two years. No, 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 but, but no, but your point, like the main portion of the movie covers about nine months. And then a time jumps for the last like 20 minutes. The last 20 <laughs> minutes covers the next 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a, it, uh, it is a weird dynamic there. Um, but uh, anyway, and then uh, David Allen Greer shows up for some reason. An adult actress, yeah, which is sweet. Uh, an adult actress, Bridget Powers, plays Gary Oldman's unfaithful girlfriend. And then we get several other little people actors. We get Ed Howard the Duck Gale, Michael J. Twin Peaks Anderson, and Debbie Lee Carrington, to name a few. So Howard the Duck making another appearance. Where David Allen Greer is essentially just playing like one of the backup band members from Eddie Murphy's band and coming to America. He's got a terrible yes. wig on. It's exactly what I was thinking. Like it, I, it should have been played by Arsenio, frankly. Sexual it, chocolate, ladies and gentlemen. And this character's not explained at all. He's just there to be a punchline in a later scene. Yeah. Like he's, he's like, he's famous for some for reason. Reason. In, yeah. In the little yeah. people crowd, especially like he does that. He does the, the convention every year. Well, why wasn't that a Emmanuel party Lewis. at his house? It should have been Emmanuel them. Lewis. That's what it should have been. It should have been a Webster man. That's racist. I mean, it would have been funnier too, but whatever. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, I, again, three Oscar winners in this thing and uh, Dinklage has an Emmy. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, a lot of hardware. Gary Oldman is famous for taking, you know, he likes to take roles that are challenging. This is one of the most bizarre choices an actor has ever made. Yeah. And frankly, it's it's insulting and it mm-hmm. kind of defeats the purpose of the movie, yeah. which is to yeah. shed light on a lot of the health issues in the little people community, as well as the biases and stereotypes associated with Mm-hmm. being a little person uh it's shocking it's a very uh i'll bring this up later it is a very strange choice to cast a, a regular actor in that role it's kind of, it almost defeats the point of the of the movie like it's like the whole message would that's yeah. like the antithesis of the whole message here that you're it's, trying to convey it's at times it's like watching one of those old terrible dwarf goes golfing or dwarf goes fishing videos remember the guy yeah. in like the 90s yeah. i mean yeah. and that's uh-huh. effectively what gary oldman's doing that's what that's what he's doing here yeah <laughs> a lot um yeah so oddly enough tiptoes was originally conceived when bright was just 18 he started writing the script as a teenager and originally it was going to be a raunchy sex comedy featuring little people which that sounds pretty offensive, but I mean, it would have been idea. a better movie. Probably would have been funnier, you know. Throw Adam Sandler in there, and we're good to go. See, that's one of my fixes for yes. this movie: get rid of, uh, uh, get rid of uh, Matthew McConaughey and have the guy played by Adam Sandler, and then to go straight comedy with it. That might work. It'd be offensive, but it, it probably would have made money in the nineties. This movie, two thousand and three. You you could keep. Other than Oldman being cast as as the lead dwarf, like I don't understand how you have Peter Dinklage, who is a generational talent. He is a and, phenomenal actor, yeah. and he gets he gets the 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 shitty the treat role. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, he, granted, he, lead, he wasn't yeah. at that time. Like he obviously was an unknown at that point yeah. in time. Yeah. But nonetheless, like this movie should have been a true rom com with McConaughey in the lead and Kate Beckinsale as the love interest, like. 
this was set up to be a funny movie. And I thought until we were about 40 minutes into it, that it was going to be. Yep. And then it it wasn't at all. Nothing was fun. No, no. It ends, it ends with quite the twist, the, a the, couple the, twists, a turn and a turn and a twist. We'll get to it later, but the, yeah. the, the, the funniest bit is the, is the families meeting each other. Mm-hmm. I would say it's uh, what seemingly is a prostitute that he used to date, Gary Oldman's character, hitting one of her Johns with a boombox. But that's also like off the dark. top rope with the boombox. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird, uh, yeah. I, I kind of feel bad for uh, for Bridget Powers there. They kind of like you could you could have taken her character a little more seriously, but both her and Patricia Arquette get really stereotypical, awful uh roles written for them which don't help the movie i i'm sort of shocked i need to know some behind the scenes i need to know why this guy what what motivated this person to write this movie well, i need to know watch... why mcconaughey signed up for it as yeah. well as Oldman or Arquette. Arquette. Yeah. yeah like all of these really talented people like Again, Dinklage didn't have a, a huge career at this point in time, but Arquette and McConaughey and Kate yeah. Beckinsale were as hot as they could be. This is on the front end of the McConaissance. So, like, he hadn't quite... He hadn't like, quite peaked yet? In he hadn't quite, yeah, he hadn't quite, like, come to his full powers yet, but... He looks yeah. good in those tidy whities I'll tell you oh that. Oh, my much. God, yeah, that is full Ooh. strength. McConaughey then he puts a retainer gone. in for some reason. Why we needed that little detail you know i mean again if you watch that movie freeway it's definitely got like some stuff in it right yeah so that's kind of this dude's tone it's it's very like the frank miller aesthetic like all the women are prostitutes and whores like it's that's kind of what he did in that movie but that movie is much more stylized than this this one felt more grounded and real with like normal people and then you throw in all these really wacky characters that don't quite fit this, the emotional story he's trying to tell. But yeah, because at its heart, this movie is supposed to be about, hey, don't judge a book by its cover. And, you know, coming to understand people and the things they're dealing with is very important. And then he just adds in all this just really strange shit. And yeah, yeah, just muddles that message right stuff. up. Yeah, yeah also, the water was, gets uh, very muddy here. It yeah. feels like McConaughey wrote uh, his agent and said, I'm doing a sequel to How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and it was How to Lose an Agent in 10 Days. <laughs> How to Lose My Publicist <laughs> in 10 Days. Wait, hold on. Fire gotta, everybody, buddy. Oh, I've my got God. a question about that coming up. But so the rumor is, and Dinklage is a proponent of this rumor. Uh, and what little oral history I could find about this, uh, T-Dubs, this is pretty much it, that there does exist a 150-minute cut of this movie. They the director screened cut. it in Austin. They screened they screen, it. They did. It exists. Yeah. People have seen it. Dinklage swears that it's a beautiful film. I don't believe that. Um, but the reason that there's this 150-minute director's cut is because the director battled with the producers throughout the production. And then when he delivered that longer cut, the studio rejected it. They locked them out of the editing room and then they cut the movie down to 90 minutes, which is the version that we have all seen. I, I'm sure it's probably better, but at the same time, nothing is going to redeem a lot of the character arcs in this film or the character behaviors. Yeah. And certainly nothing is going to redeem whatever the hell Dinklage is doing in here. Yeah, I think the one thing that's really lost for me that might be improved by additional connective tissue is that none of the locations 
like are really established with like exterior shots. Like the whole movie feels like it's just shot either like in the apartment, inside the banquet hall, or like, you know, you get a couple shots like in yeah. a parking lot. Several of it, several scenes are just shot from inside a couch. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but you're you're always in somebody's bedroom, you're always in somebody's yeah. apartment. Um, you're in, you're in somebody's backyard. It's just oh, it's just th- a weird. It feels movie. like the room at times. This movie feels just, about as cheap of a production, starring this many famous people as I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's it just like it seems like the whole thing was shot like on one soundstage with four rooms. Yes. Um, yeah. And you're just bouncing between them. Like travel doesn't matter. People just appear in places. I don't, it's 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 got a weird surreal feel to it. Again, so don't do the drugs, kids, when you're watching Tiptoes. It'll just. You don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Uncle Chumpzilla uh, is steering you wrong. Take all the drugs. It's your okay. only hope of getting through this thing. <laughs> so here's the deal. So after the studio cut the movie down to 90 minutes, uh, Bright was uh, so offended that he had his name removed from the writer's credit. And so this movie is credited to Bill Wiener as the writer. That's funny. That's yeah. That's, that's the funniest like thing that. about this movie. Yeah. Nothing like taking a shot at the director after he... Yeah. <laughs> Gets upset that you've ruined his masterpiece. Uh but anyway, so the rumor is again that uh Bright would still like the director's cut to be released, and Dinklage is in support of that. So I don't know. I won't watch it. Frankly, I'm I and again I, I've been shocked quite a bit already with this film, but I'm mystified you can even stream this. Yeah, yeah, and a couple of places on that note. Um, like you said, uh, Blake, the movie was screened at a few festivals, both versions. Uh, and then it was effectively dumped straight to DVD. Rotten Tomatoes gives Tiptoes a 20% with a similar audience score at 23. Both are too high. Um, and you can find this for free on Amazon Prime and the Roku channel. Anywhere else, you'll have to burn $3.99. And don't do it, folks. It is not worth it. Not even Tubi. No, not even it's too bad for Tubi. That's to tell you something. I've actually paid for this once because it wasn't free the first time I watched it. Oh, God. So, uh, why? Thankfully, I didn't have to pay for it again. Oh, I watched this years ago. So, I've known about Tiptoes for a few years now. Yeah. I mean, I knew of it from like memes and like people being like, hey, have you seen the movie where Gary Oldman plays a little person? It's awful. I'm like, that can't be real. It oh, it's is. very, very real. Very real. Yeah, you guys teased me with this movie at one point mm-hmm. years ago, and I was like, oh, ha, ha, I'll probably watch it. And I never did. And then I watched it twice this week because. Oh, no. Okay. That's well, worse than me having well, watched, I watched it, it seven or eight and then, years ago. And then we were all texting <laughs> about it, and you guys said some stuff that I was like, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember that. It's probably because I was like, playing solitaire on my phone because i was just so disgusted with what i was watching so i had to go back and find those things and then as soon as i found all the things as soon as i, I checked off all the scavenger hunt things from our text messages i i turned You're it done. off and didn't even finish yeah. it yeah. all right well hey that does bring us to our one-liners uh why don't you start us off t-dubs okay so here's my one-liner a man from a family of little people turns out to be a bigot and probably a uh, abuser but his naive one-time bigot ex-fiance finds love in the strangest of places. His twin brother. <laughs> so soap opery. It's just wow. 
it does feel very uh as the world turns for sure yeah at the end it just totally turns the whole movie on its ear there all right bling blake what is your one-liner while peter dinklage's maurice may know exactly what he is this movie doesn't have a clue what it's supposed to be mm. wow those are that's some serious critique there gentlemen i'm impressed so my one-liner is simply tiptoes is a movie that need not exist okay i mean i would have went with little people big script problems like, <laughs> play on that tv show oh no yeah no that that that, that also works I, I don't recall if any of the actors in this show appear in that but one of the guys from that pit boss show where the where the little people rehabilitate pit bulls is in this I didn't recognize okay. him, so I didn't I didn't call him out by name because I've never watched that show. Um that sounds like a terrible idea. Uh, most of the people from Little People Big <laughs> yeah. World were not actors, but they were friends with some a of the pretty other... famous little people actor who's been in uh like Pirates of the Caribbean amongst yeah. many other yeah. things. Oh, the little yeah. bald guy? Yep. I don't yeah. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. So me either, yeah. but I, I like I like him. I, like I mean, I'm movies. sure it's a pretty small community. I mean, these guys. Come on, probably... guys. You got to fucking stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay that was on an accident. Okay. But, uh, it, it... Not you guys. Chumpzilla, you have to stop. Okay. For the record, listeners, I am not. I'm tiptoeing around. Any <laughs> because, I, like, honestly, I mean, that's part of the movie. And that's the only redeeming thing of this movie is that, yes, we shouldn't have fun at other people's expense. Um, it's insensitive. Yeah. Well, and I think the, the movie doesn't really show. Uh, we'll get to we get to the plot. I don't want to get into that now. But here's the IMDb one liner: the story of a peculiar love triangle involving two brothers. Okay, no, that's, no, it, there's it's, uh, sort of the movie, but no, only in the last ten seconds. Yeah. yeah, there's no love triangle in this movie. No, zero they, love triangle. They don't even set up the ah. Uh, there's no love triangle. Zip, zero, zilch, none. It's not even the last, like, like you said, like, in the last 20 seconds, there's two people. There's not a triangle. Yeah. You can kiss me if you want. Roll credits. What the <laughs> yeah. fuck? Wow. And, like, I don't see, here's the thing. Like, they talk about this director's cut. The way the movie ends tells me there's no saving it. Because there's nothing that sets that up in this movie. I am telling you, the back half of this movie from the director's cut literally becomes, like, freeway where McConaughey goes into like rage mode and shows up and murders his twin brother, Rolf. I do appreciate a very young Reese Witherspoon swearing like aggressively. Like that was impressive. I'm like, okay, that's, that's why she still has work today. Cause that was a heck of a performance from a young actress like with Keith or Sutherland, you know, excuse me with Kiefer Sutherland, you know, a decent actor, they played well off each other. I was kind of a, uh -huh. I was kind of surprised. Because she looks like she's like 17 in that movie. We're talking about Freeway now because there's yeah. no performances in Tiptoes that will make you say, huh, it's a, no wonder they keep getting work. I want to see them again. Yeah, I, I'd never seen that movie before. So I was kind of impressed because I'm not a big, uh, you know, L. Woods fan, but man, okay. There was that Cruel Intentions vibes going on there. But so this plot, I mean, I think we hit on it earlier. It's basically a rom-com with a really weird twist at the end and a, a turn and a twist. But it's not romantic and it's not a comedy. 
Yeah, it's like built that way, but it doesn't it doesn't achieve those goals. Uh, the movie's initially set up though like a standard rom com. You've got the 100%. couple Steve and Carol planning to be married, but Steve has a family secret he's been hiding from her. Which at this point that still seems like it could be funny and ha ha ha. But anyway, moving on. <clears throat> the secret is he's the only non little person in his family, which includes his twin brother Rolf. Carol unexpectedly becomes pregnant, and Steve is not pleased as he is concerned his child will suffer from dwarfism like the rest of his family. Carol discovers Steve's family secret when his brother Rolf shows up at their apartment nursing his wounds from fighting with his on and off again girlfriend's newest boyfriend. Oh, and Rolf's friends with some obnoxious French Marxist with a morphine habit and a sketchy hippie girlfriend. It's, just, it's there. Don't worry about it. And uh, <clears throat> with Steve's secret now exposed, he expresses his deep-seated fear of seeing his child suffer like his brother did growing up. Carol eases his fears, and they agree to keep the baby and go ahead with their marriage. So at this point, it seems like a sweet story of love and understanding, and we're going to do this together, and it's going to be okay. And, you know, if our baby comes out a dwarf, and we've got this community that I'm now a part of because I've met them all, and we're all going to be happy together. Okay, we're we're still we're still vaguely in rom com vibe mode here. It really but. could have been like a cute, charming story where you didn't have to poke fun at people. You yep. just show the community, have some jokes, have some laughs, kind of yep. fish out of water. You know, like yeah. you can but, do this thing, and it's just like why? Why did they yeah. make these choices? And, and you get a couple of monologues from little people throughout the movie. Gary Oldman talks about his his struggle and his life experience, and you know give some words of wisdom. So do the parents when the, the couple meets and, you know, Carol meets her future in-laws for the first time. And they all kind of talk about how their lives have been and how they're going to support them with the baby, no matter what, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, this is all good. This, you know, Matthew McConaughey should be feeling better about life at this point, but the honeymoon is short lived. The baby is born with dwarfism and Steve can't handle it. His relationship with Carol deteriorates to the point that they separate and Carol leaves and joins Rolf and his buddy at a lake cabin, and it's there she falls for Rolf, and they share a kiss on the lake shore. Cut to black. It's, yeah, I it's, mean, uh, you skipped over a couple things. There's a interesting sex scene between uh, sexual chocolate and uh, Rolf's ex-girlfriend. They're just having sex in the middle of a party. Yep. In a glass-walled uh, room. Yep, so that yep. happens. Uh there's well, a conversation what... about a bunch of dwarves having a circle jerk with Matthew McConaughey. When yeah, children. she's like, I'd love to watch you do that. And it's like, what yeah. is happening here? And what? how is this supposed to endear me to either of these people? It... I think it was supposed to be like dwarfs fuck too. But yeah, 100%. Right? Like, but like, they have sex lives. Like, that's fine. But it's like played for laughs, which again, seems like to be against the message of the movie. And it wasn't a good laugh, even. No, it wasn't funny. The whole the whole sex scene with uh, David Allen Greer and uh, Bridget Powers is just bizarre because it's clear that Gary Oldman's girlfriend is a prostitute. I mean, she's got the she's got the prostitute bedroom. She's I don't yeah. think she's a prostitute, but she's, she's definitely a slut. She's got the bedroom. Not the slut well, shame. You're she's okay. Kick, it's okay she's to be a John. No, no, no offense to her, but like Gary Oldman's character seems to be a moron. Like she, he, she has sugar daddies. It's yeah, it's like, exactly. dude, she's clearly not like you know I mean, relationship material. I mean, she has like a he, furry heart shaped bed, and he's supposed to be some sort of like professional writer. He's, or he's a newspaper writer, and he's syndicated. 
Finally, the, the San Finally. Jose Mercury News, some other Southern California newspaper, and then the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest newspapers in yeah. the country. If you want to bash my abbreviated plot there, I mean, the whole thing of people having careers in this movie doesn't make any sense. I mean, they make- Mc- McConaughey, who's such a rageaholic, he's like a firefighter. Instructor. And he, he uses his frustration with the fact that he has impregnated his girlfriend and, and this may lead to health problems for his child, even though it's made very clear that he has a just a blatant disregard for ensuring he's having safe sexual intercourse. Yeah, right. And he I mean, just bullies a, a, a heavier fireman. Like, your family I, hates you. Get up yeah. the hill, fatty. I was getting no, some serious damned river vibes. I'm like, whoa, yeah, right. yeah. whoa, not, whoa. What did he say? Not, not only are you slow, but you suck at it. Yeah. Which and actually, like, if I was still coaching rugby, I would definitely use that like tomorrow. Then there's like a, a weird this like a professional setting. Like he HR had to come over and pinch him by the ear. He invites another woman to this party <laughs> with him. Who's <laughs> one of his trainees. It's who was also the one that scolded two, him two. for he, two women. He invites two women. And yes, yeah. the, the blonde one's the one that comes over and grabs him by the ear and tells him to be nice. That, yeah. Those characters I, don't make their jobs don't make any sense. Kate Beckinsale being a painter doesn't make sense. You never see Gary Oldman sit down to write anything. He's just always tired, needs to sit on the couch. I mean, you do see him sitting quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Is he sitting or is he kneeling inside of a couch? He's, He's kneeling inside, inside of a couch. couch. So Listeners, I cannot with pool noodles with boots on the end. I cannot stress this <laughs> enough. Made better scarecrows <laughs> because they do do some long shots of Gary Oldman where they had to CGI, you know, from his knee down, and his shoes because the CGI is so bad seem to be like it's like a it's like a video game. They're they're moving. They're like they're having like screen tearing his shoes. <laughs> Yeah, they do hit one shot where they like, I think they digitally erased his legs from behind him. It's, it's like you can kind of see the pavement kind of has that Terminator 2 feel to it. Like, oh, yeah, oh, it moved. It so moved. most of the time it's really awkward because they they have the screen so you can see his butt. And it's very clear at that point that he's kneeling down and he's not actually um, a little person. And then the rest of the movie, he's just behind things like he's bartending at one point. Mm-hmm. But he's also wearing like charging chuck shoulder pads from super mario brothers so yeah. he kind of looks like he's an extra hump, in the water boy the yeah, hump <laughs> changes sizes and positions throughout the movie yeah. like well it's not a consistent hump and basically what they did there was they just tried to find a way to make his arms look shorter so they like gave him they put him in a suit jacket or a leather jacket at all times then padded up the back so it create the illusion that he didn't have regular length arms which he well, clearly does because they hang down to his shins i yeah. guess they also like like tied his arms back at some point <laughs> yeah. he, keeps one, he keeps his non-hump hand in a pocket quite a bit yeah, and then his, yeah. his hump hand has a cane yeah. uh worst uh, practical effect the hump or the fake baby that is used just flagrantly <laughs> At least it's, we got a real baby shot at the end. We did. Uh, it's still better was, than American Sniper. It, yeah, you could you couldn't see him jiggling it. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, wait, before we get down this rabbit hole any further, uh, let's give this this poor movie our beer ratings. I'm going to go first. It is six pain beers easy. There's no way a director's cut for this is better or saves it. Um, the whole heel turn twist at the end. 
uh, it, it's just so undercooked and under you know, and unsatisfying. Like Matthew McConaughey just turns into a monster, kind of out of the blue. Like he's concerned and a worried parent at the beginning, so you can relate with him. And then he punches a hole in a wall like 15 minutes after his baby's born, and it's just downhill from there. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I just, it doesn't, it, none of that's set up. You don't see him having a hair trigger. He's not an abusive boyfriend. But I mean, I guess maybe that's where life is sometimes, but it just wasn't good for a narrative movie. And I think that being straight to DVD is the only thing that saves this movie from being out rollerball as the shit movie champion. Well, I will say this the camera work is generally better than rollerball. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's sort of shot like a real movie. Yeah, thank God there were no action sequences. This movie feels like it was a USA made-for-TV movie. Um, no action sequences. Do you remember Rolf hauling ass down the freeway on his miniature motorcycle? Yeah, there's there's a couple of fights. Dude, he's <laughs> it's a trike with a booster seat. He's he's friggin' bringing it, dude. Uh, Death Race three thousand. <laughs> With his mm-hmm. crooked ass helmet, yeah. like they just tried to make him look like such a goon the whole time. So you're introduced to him and Dinklage as they tear ass down the highway, and then they get off to pee, like into the you know gravel. He's like, "God damn it, can't stop moving." It's like, "All I'm, right, I'm shaking so bad I can't even pee," and he's just like gyrating. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I didn't, I didn't get that joke. Is he having prostate issues? What's going on there? No, I think it's just he, from the vibrations of the road. 400 miles yeah. on this yeah. motorbike. Uh, Either way, uh, <laughs> this is easily. It's really, it's a short movie, but it feels long, and it's so, so bad. So five pain beers for me. Five. Fair enough. Yeah. Wayne Blake, what do you give it? Yeah, at, at ninety, I think I have a hard time giving it six beers, uh, but it's five. And it's pain Mm. all day long. Um, There's just, there's, there's so much wrong with it. Uh, it, It's not as bad as rollerball. Like throughout rollerball, I was like, what in the hell was that all about? Yeah. And, and this one at 90 minutes, it's kind of so short that when it ended, I was still waiting for all of these jokes to like pay off something to happen yeah and then it just it just ended you know like we talked about like like the 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 honeymoon being short-lived like no shit we literally were from them celebrating the marriage in the car calling each other mr and mrs whatever their last name was it was weird yeah um it might as well have been winklevoss it was weird and then and then they're like in the hospital room having this meltdown and then he comes back in and, and he apologizes and he's like, he's like, he's contrite. And he's like, I'm going to do a good job. Like, cause you know, obviously this guy knows how to deal with little people. Like he knows their problems. He's really well-versed in this. He's going to be, he can do this. If he puts his mind to it, he can be a really good dad. And then the yeah. next scene is 10 months later and he's like melting down again, screaming, I'm a dwarf in the kitchen. And yeah. it just Ma- like, Matt Walsh style. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it just oh, went. Holy, holy shit. How did we not talk about that scene where he goes into full on, like, this kid's better off without me? And then screams at her, I'm a dwarf. He's a dwarf. And then the scene just ends. Yeah. <laughs> and the next thing you see, she's living, she's driving up to, Out to the Rolf's farm. house. Yeah. It's which which again I, I don't I don't understand anybody's motivations in this movie and I, I 
Well, clearly the movie is should be about him learning, like you know, like obviously he's family. comfortable. Yeah. You know, he does love his family, but there's a lot of hangups for him, and he's got to learn some lesson, right? Because a lot of the movie, there's all this like unspoken sort of hostility between him and Rolf. Yeah, which again, you don't get any details. Like I think this None. movie would have benefited yeah. from a flashback of them being kids or something to build their relationship a bit. Does that just show up? I mean, the movie opens, they meet in the parking lot at this event that so again, clearly Matthew McConaughey's Steve is supportive of his family and the little people community enough that he he ditches his wife, who was going to give him a blowjob to attend this thing. His brother shows up late and they have a nice little casual conversation, like, oh, hey, next time maybe don't be late. And you know, you know, you want to grab a drink? You know, they seem like they get along just fine. And, and he then seems it, to care yeah. about the community. It seems like he's more apprehensive at that point. Your feelings like, oh, he, he just he's apprehensive. He doesn't want his wife to know that his family's weird. And right. then it turns out even more serious. Well, no, I'm okay with my family. I'm just worried about if I have a kid, I don't want, you know, I don't want them to suffer like my brother, which again is very kind of sweet and endearing. He's a, he's a, a concerned, you know, prospective parent. But then like, obviously he like can't handle it and he turns into a rage monster. So it's like, well, where was that coming from? For the record, yeah, you know, like if his he, parents he, are in their fifties or sixties, like there's it's not like this is gonna well. ruin his son's life. Like will yeah. there be challenges? Certainly. But to just be like, you know what, I'm gonna abandon you. Well, and, and the how thing is too, how is, is that better? And to your point, I think you don't you were the one that mentioned it, Boing, that he doesn't appear to until the end, maybe it or maybe mid mid to the end. He doesn't ever seem to really resent little people or resent his brother at all. He most most of the time he just verbalizes, I don't want my son to suffer like my brother did. Yeah, which again seems like a reasonable thing, but why would you then take it out on the kid? Yeah, he's a very doting son. Like he's good job. Like you I, I assumed in the beginning that he didn't want his future wife, maybe maybe he was apprehensive about having the conversation with his future wife because he didn't want her to run away because of genetics, right? To be right, like, yeah. oh, like, like, because we're going to have a dwarf for a child. So that means I'm not going to marry you. I want to have, I want to do this part of life yeah. with somebody else. That's, that's what he's scared of. Like, sure. okay, that's, that all checks out. Those are weird hangups people have and, and that's fine. And then, and she learns and grows. So you're like, great, this story, this story could have worked. Yeah. Just didn't. Well, well and, the, and then of course, what always kills me is that you get that scene where it looks like the, her parents, the prospective in-laws, meeting the dwarf family, like they play it up like they might not be okay with it. And that turns out they are. And that yeah. should have been like this big relief for Matthew McConaughey. Like, oh, it's going to be okay. They're accepting. Like, you know, we can be a big happy family together. And then like he does not take anything from that. And that kind of happens, right? Because like the next scene is the wedding. Right. Yep. They're like, like, oh, yeah. Mazel we'll have, a, we'll have yeah. a Jewish wedding. Of course. That's great. Yeah. You guys are hilarious. Like, that's all good and then but, yeah. but they just they don't like yeah, there are several good ideas here that that they could have hinged yeah. around to make a good movie and they just they just or at least a competent movie that was yeah. a disaster i don't Again, love every rom-com in the world but like sure you know they're watchable they're formulaic and i get what he was trying to do here but this yeah, dog shit. The heel turn by McConaughey's character, and then the twist where she falls for Rolf in the end with no setup. Like those, those, those two points are pivotal to the last twenty minutes of the movie, and effectively the end, the climax, the final scene. None of that is set up. None of it's earned. But anyway, 
we should probably get into our first break. So we've covered the plot. We've got our beer ratings. So let's hear something from our dwarf tossing brother from another mother at the Double Turn Podcast. Hey everyone, it's the J-Man and I'm the host of the Double Turn Podcast. Every month, myself and a featured guest bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in the industry, or taking a look back at some of the greatest matches and moments in history. So check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And give us a follow on Twitter at TDT Wrestling Pod and on Instagram at The Double Turn Podcast. And don't forget to check out our home base at wabamentertainment.com for all your comic book and movie needs. And check out our sister podcast, Hops and Box Office Flops. Enjoy, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wobam Entertainment. We're still talking about tiptoes, and I do have a few questions for the panel. Here's my first one. When did this movie lose you? Like, Blake, you mentioned it earlier, you were playing solitaire or something. When did you find yourself looking at your phone the first time watching this movie? I think it was uh, when Oldman went to, to to Bridget's apartment and then got in the fight with the Israeli security guard. Because mm-hmm. uh, up to that point, I was like, all right, like, some of these gags aren't great, but like, you know, McConaughey dances with like his nieces and stuff at the convention. He has the, yeah. the moment with his brother. There's kind of the funny shit in the hotel with Arquette and Dinklage and the weird uh, uh, hotel owner, uh, manager, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, yeah. So I was like, okay, it's not really funny yet, but like, I see where they're going with it. And then that scene happened and you, you kind of thought like, Oh, this could be like this is going to be funny. There's going to be like a, a a fight between these people, and this this could end up being kind of comedic, maybe even slapsticky, whatever. And I and I kind of appreciate the choice that they made to not do that, but at the same time, like it it was just sad. Yeah, it was. It was just a grown man beating up on a on a a fake little person, uh, and at least Bridget hit him with the boombox, but. Yeah, it was just it was just sad, and then it, he left sad. Yeah, and, yeah, and I was like, this this isn't gonna be good. This isn't not, gonna be funny at all. No, and you're like, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this. This poor guy is presumably he's a little heartbroken. He just found out his girlfriend's been sleeping with another guy who just beat him up, and now he's got to go crawling home to his brother and his mystery girlfriend. Yeah, it just it wasn't. Yeah, yeah it wasn't. It wasn't good. It wasn't yeah. Good. What, what about you, T-Dubs? When did this movie lose you? Okay, so I'm going to make a comparison here because famously, when they were watching the dailies of Back to the Future, they realized Eric Stoltz was not the choice for Marty McFly. At the point you first get Gary Oldman sitting in the hollowed out couch, how was there not a conversation? This is not going to work. We cannot do this. Mm-hmm. It is absurd. <laughs> These fake legs are just sloughed over the side <laughs> of the couch. <laughs> At one point, the jeans aren't like they're kind of cr- crunkled or crinkled the wrong way. And you could just tell there's just a rod in there. Yeah. <laughs> they don't look natural. Let's just put it that way. It, and the, from the moment that happens, it's like, no, I can't do this. I can't. When, when have you ever sat on a couch with like one leg just slightly raised up? 
for an extended period of time. And it's clear that he's somewhere inside the couch, but based on the angle, the legs are then coming up. Yeah. And, and the way his torso is like tilted too. It's like, uh, yeah, no, I can totally see the outline of where you would be. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was pretty much instantly, um, the opening road trip stuff with the fake Randy Newman soundtrack. I'm just like, Oh my God. And then like, we get the generic introduction of like uh, Steve and Carol. And I'm like, Oh no. And then the banquet scene. Now it is a little bit of meat cute when McConaughey goes in there, dances with his nieces or whatever. And I don't know, there's a, there's some witty banter between some of the actors, but when you look at the background and you realize that it's like literally just in a conference room with some balloon, it's like, I know it's supposed to look kind of cheap, but in a movie, it looks fake. And like, it, it was just like, what, what kind of high school drama production are we watching here? Like this, this doesn't look like a Hollywood movie. I'm no, like, they I just, just filmed it in an actual convention, like an event center somewhere. Yeah, with no extra props. Like, whatever you guys got, we'll, we got a couple banners we'll put up yeah. for a little. Do you guys have any of those folding walls? We don't want to pay for the whole room. Yeah, you're right. Like, can you put the partition up? And like, it, even like the people, like there was, they made a, there was a comment about boobs at some point, and I'm just like, what, what is going on? What are these people doing? What is this? David Allen Greer's character gives some nonsensical speech. What is what what is what are they even doing? Like who who's in charge of what? Whose role is uh, to be in charge of this this foundation? What is Matthew Connie's family's relationship to it? And again, like none of that is fleshed out at all. So no, it's nobody just talks so nonsensical. Yeah, and... none of the characters talk to each other like real human beings. Maybe that stuff gets cut. But yeah, in a movie that's basically all about family interactions, the families don't talk a lot. It's a really weird movie. Like, for example, here's what here's what really drives me nuts after watching this movie. A scene like that in the opening with all of the family members together would have been a perfect time for them to talk about Rolf and Steve. And if there was any kind of issue with the relationship, that could have been brought up. We didn't even need a flashback. The family could have talked about it right there and given us more depth to those two characters and why they might have, you know, a love triangle later Maybe on there's some bitterness that Rolf lives 400 miles away in the middle of the woods and doesn't help take care of the parents. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Or that McConaughey felt like he lost part of his childhood because he was always taking care of his brother, you know, and he doesn't want to do that again with his own son. Like there's a a lot of ways they could have added some depth to that that would made the end of the movie make more sense, but they don't do it. Um, Did any part of the movie work for you guys where you're like, well, that's okay. Cause you seem to be a little more positive, Blake. Yeah, I mean, I, I not to like rehash things I've already said, but there were points where I felt like this movie could have worked, and yet they did not take advantage of it. Right? Like, yeah, there, the, there are there are little scenes that I enjoyed, like for example, like the the party scene where Dinklage is berating the the uncle that's the head the of the yeah. the organization and then his new girlfriend who's named kitty cats jesus fucking christ guys i mean <laughs> uh, that was kind of funny and then it ends sad with old men like seriously yelling at him and telling him to go away right yeah like, yeah and and then that party ends sad mm. and, and like so so i no i don't think anything worked but this movie was especially frustrating for me because I felt like there were points where 
they had the opportunity to make it work. And then rather than do that, they went the other way. And I don't know if that's just the director yeah. trying to be too arty or I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the editing or the writing or the directing in the moment. I think the editing really hurt this movie a lot, but well, it's you know, that's hard to I say think, without watching the Dinklage cut. I think you're going a little farther. I don't think it helped the movie, but like it just, it wouldn't have helped. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I hurt, this movie hurt itself. But for me, I'll, I'll jump in real quickly. There's only one part of this movie that worked for me. And my initial answer was no. But there is a part. I kind of forgot about this, but I mentioned it earlier. So I'll just be brief. It's that scene with the in-laws at the end. When, yeah. when, the, future, when the future in-laws do the fake out. for the You know, it's not about the little people. It's about the Jewish wedding. It's like, that kind of felt like, oh, that's a feel-good moment. And like the wedding goes on. That actually worked in the the rom-com setting that that so, whole but, that that whole scene was fine i yeah, yeah. and then, i enjoyed they don't it do, right. they don't do anything with it nope so credit to the writer there that was that was clever enough for this kind of movie i liked it it was a bit of a fake out and then he does nothing with it so what about you t-dubs anything that worked at all don't uh, say go yeah. uh, don't say gary oldman's legs no uh obviously we, we always say on this podcast representation is is so important in film and so kudos to the movie for that it but the experience of being a little person and some of the struggles that may come with that whether that's health wise or societal wise deserved a far better platform nothing in this movie works yeah yeah no that's that's fair very very little in this movie even has a chance to work frankly it's all kind of ill conceived just a real short uh, list oh that's on him. That's not me, T-Dubs. That is on Bling Blake. Um, so here's just a real quick one. Have you ever seen a movie do less with an R rating? No. I don't know why a rom-com or a movie like this needs a rate a R rating. It, it's essentially just like a license for Dinklage to overact and for Patricia Arquette to also overact. Yeah, right? Because they, they both kind of swear a lot. That's about it. There's no real nudity. A lot of swearing. Uh, mild drug use where they mention mm -hmm. that it's morphine syrup. Uh, yep. Which, by the way, I want to try that cocktail. That sounds lovely. Cherry mm -hmm. morphine syrup with cognac? Yeah, I'm in for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's it's not. It's just it's a handful of F-bombs and a, and a blowy that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple like sexual innu innuendos and whatnot, but there's no nudity. I mean, uh, yeah. Minus now that the, I needed it, I wasn't. I wasn't looking for nudity in this thing. That's fine. You, you don't wait a minute. Now McConaughey was looking good in those tidy whities. I'm just. I, that's all I needed, baby. I don't. I don't need to see any McConaughey hog. I'm fine. But uh, yeah, I just. I just kind of like baffles me. It does baffle me. They have to go for an R rating on this movie just so you can have a bunch of f bombs to add nothing to the movie. Like yeah, no. I mean, not, that, not that it would have mattered. No one's going to see it anyway. But like, well, the R rating, you could have done some more. And I go, I think that goes back to that original comment about the director envisioning this at one point as like a sex comedy. So I think he had that idea there, but that's not what this movie is, and I don't think that's what they cut either. So anyway, um, we, we joked about firing agents before. Who should fire their agent the fastest after this? Gary Oldman. Whoever gives him advice in his life should be like, Gary, I know you're a character actor. I know you like to get into roles. This is not a good idea. Yeah. 
Was this before or after I Am Sam? Before. It's, it's around the same time. I think it's after I Am Sam. Really? I think so. I, I was just going to say, I would hate to think that somebody talked. Yeah, that was minute. 2001. Okay. I would hate to think that somebody was like, hey, Gary, Rain Man, I Am Sam. Nobody's done a little person movie. Could be you, buddy. Listen, could act, be it. actors are very vain and they think that they can do anything art, art, artistically, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, of course. Why can't why can't I play a little person? There's nobody better to do that than me. This was a fucking absurd thing to do. Yeah. It's I feel like you read this you might agree to this in principle. You read the script and you back right out. Nope. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is the guy that gave us Drexel the pimp, right? Like he can Correct. do some things that are not him. And I love that about Gary Oldman. But that said, T-Dubs, I don't think, because I, I said that initially too. I, I don't think that Oldman's agent got him to take this movie. Like, who, who is this director? Who, who is this writer? Who are the producers? Like, right, like, there's, there's, this doesn't build your, your, political capital in Hollywood at all. I think this had to be, like you said, his vanity and being like, I can do anything. I was Drexel the pimp. I I will be Winston Churchill one day. You know, like Yeah. Um I mean, I, again, like on a very surface level, it looks like, hey, this is a chance to like, you know, do some Oscar bait type stuff. But it, yeah, I, again, I won't to your point, I won't necessarily blame his agent for getting him the role. I would blame his agent for not talking him out of it. Like, oh man, I looked at this. This is bad. But but because I can see where there's that potential upside, that's what pushes me to Patricia Arquette because her role in this movie is terrible. And there's no reason for her to play that role, it, especially at that point in her career. It's, I mean, it's not even like funny. It's like kind of sad and she plays really dumb. Like it's not a good role. It's certainly not pro-feminism, I will say that. Yeah, and um, it kind of flies flies in the face of like sort of her like more recent political statements. Not I mean, granted, it's an actor. She it's make believe. I'm not judging her there, but yeah, I would like if my agent had not talked me out of that, I'd be like, hey buddy, this isn't working. Like, how did you let me do that? That's terrible. I, I almost wonder, like, for me, I think it's almost it's almost Dinklage. Uh again, 20 years ago, the guy needed the work and he well, wanted he wanted money. But like, yeah, for, for, for a guy that that really doesn't like playing little people, right? He he likes to play characters that just so happen to be little yeah. people, right? Yeah. Like like he does he's he's not he's never going to be an elf, right? Yeah. And yeah. so to play this weird caricature seems very anti Dinklage to me, and this sure. Is, I just, I don't know. I wonder about that one a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I think I have a point to of emphasis there. So I was reading about Dinklage's like comments on this film. And I think one of the reasons it's near and dear to him is I get the feeling that he's got some nostalgia for this. Uh, it's got to be the only reason that he supports the, the release of the director's cut. Uh, I think it's because he's on the record saying he didn't want to play elves or dwarves. He didn't want to be an Ewok. He wanted to play real roles where they have real issues and, and have real lives just like a real little person would. He's like, I mean, because all these roles are goofy or like a mythical character or like some kind of like, you know, wise beyond your years. Like, no, I want to be somebody that's sexy and dangerous and, you know, alive. 
So I think he overacted in this role because it's one of the first roles in his early career that gave him the chance to be bigger than life and to be like, you know, not just pigeonholed into being a little person, even though it's in a movie about little people. I can't fault any little person for wanting to be in this movie because on the surface it feels like, oh, this is going to be, this This is a good way to like show people. Yeah. Right. You know, like it's pro little people. We are a community of people and, and yes. And again, but that's it, that's it, that yeah. Hallmark movie core that it has that it that it somehow throws away by the end. But yeah, I, so I can't blame Dinklage. I'm sticking with Arquette. Again, talking about Dinklage, I disagree with him. Do you guys think there's any chance a director's cut would actually be better? It can't be worse. It can't be uh, worse. But I I don't want to do another hour of this. So no. Yeah. I mean, whatever whatever that whatever that is, it's what makes me angry is that apparently we have the director's cut of Tiptoes. But we'll never get a director's cut of Event Horizon. That is tragedy, folks. I don't want to watch. I'd, I'd rather watch the director's cut of Tiptoes than the director's cut of Event Horizon. I don't need another 10 years of nightmares. Mm-hmm. Such a soft blood orgy pass. Hard mm-hmm. pass. Um, I'm going to skip this one because I think the the answer is obvious. How distracting are Gary Oldman's uh, you know visual effects? It's, Terrible, awful. It's, un- it's indescribable. <laughs> noticeable in every scene yes like, you can see oh look at the little trick they're using there to, to, the, to bunch him up somehow even the fucking wig is bad man <laughs> yeah. the, the best he looks is from behind when they're using an actual little person to stand body him. <laughs> yeah. and you know what back to your point about dailies on uh on back to the future d-dubs how do you watch this movie in the, you know during production and not just say hey just cut Gary Oldman loose, have Dinklage take over that role and get somebody else yep. to play Maurice, right? Boom, problem solved. Movie gets cheaper and better right there. That's it gets the answer. 100% better. Also, kudos to whoever the double for Oldman was because he's the best actor in the movie because he has to <laughs> like replicate this incredibly weird gait that Gary Oldman's doing because he's yeah, on right? his knees. He does a good job. <laughs> You think there's like I want to just like put him in like those like like the knee braces you get when you have your ACL redone that you can't bend your legs. Like here, here, wear these and do do a weird little thing. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So here I've got I've got this is probably my this is the uh, capstone of my questions here. What's more offensive about this movie, Gary Oldman playing a dwarf, or the fact that the movie's main premise is genetically impossible? I guess you'd have to tell me about the what which premise are you describing? Well, based on the type of dwarfism that's exhibited in Matthew McConaughey's family in the film. Okay. Um, the fact that he is normal sized and that his wife's family is all normal sized, there's practically zero chance he oh, could yes. have a child yeah. with dwarfism. Because okay. yeah, he might have the recessive gene but her family would have to have it too. And the fact that she doesn't and he's normal sized means there's almost zero chance. And, and like, the movie like paints it as if it's almost like 50-50. And yeah, that's... So the reason I think yeah, that's the yeah. most offensive is because it shows that even though the director was trying to make a pro little people movie and trying to make a movie about their plights and how they're real people, he didn't even bother to research. Did not even bother. Like, the concepts involved at all. The, the concept of them being twins and him being... Uh, regular height that's that's possible. That possible but yeah to your point like it is like so you spent all this time to to write this movie 
and your entire hinging point, you just didn't bother to figure out if that was true or not. I mean, this movie is so like blind to how absurd it's being that like when she gives birth, her doctor is a little person as if only a little person can deliver little, you know, little person babies. Well, I just took that more as like, Hey, they that doctor. Yeah. Little, well, yeah, more, but, more is like, like it's, they're just trying to be like, like, like little people can be doctors. Hold, hold on. That, I get it. Yeah. But so, it's here, like, so here's the problem there that is set up in the, the conversation with the in-law, not the, when she has a conversation oh, with, with her yeah. in-law with the uncle and his new girlfriend that I can daughter, refer you to some doctors. Yeah. Get you doctors. Uh-huh. Now, did you see any prenatal visits? Did they have any set like set up before that? No, zero. So yes, just because like a, they would know, you know, in, within the first trimester, yeah, that this was coming. This isn't like a surprise. Oops. Yeah, it's it, it, seriously. Yeah, when, it, when especially if you're little, that like freaked out about it, right? You're right, going to find aware, out. Yeah. Well, no, but the, the point is because to your point though, the way the movie is edited and, <laughs> and your expectations at this point, when the doctor walks in and it's a little person, it feels like a joke. Oh, I was just is like, I was like, of course, wait, no. of course it is. Like, of course it is. Like, oh, I so saw this is okay. Wait, hold on. Okay, it's just yeah. I don't know why. Like, it just the movie's so bizarre that even stuff like that, it feels like it was supposed to be a joke. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah. You could have written a joke there. It would have been great, right? Like, yeah. uh, like, like him delivering the baby, but getting like a like bringing a step stool in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Come on. Like, yeah. but to uh, answer your question, Chumzilla. Yeah. The answer is still. Gary Oldman. Still Gary Oldman? <laughs> I don't know. I, I That's think, still more offensive. I think not I, bothering to research the, the concept at all is, is that's appalling. It it's not great. But, no, but I'll but I, Gary Oldman I'll, playing a dwarf is by far more offensive. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hold on. I'll okay, tell you what's on. the most offensive. The French Marxist routine. And also when he's gonna shoot the hotel manager for seemingly no reason. Oh my gosh. And instead Patricia Arquette beats the man to death with a shoe. While, while calling, like, you're a prostitute, just like hitting him. <laughs> I don't understand that scene at all. Where is Dinklage standing and what is he pointing the gun at? He's in the room. Patricia, uh, Patricia Arquette is out like on the, the by the front door out in the, the walkway beating the, the guy to death in front of his girlfriend or whatever, the, but uh, in front of the cleaning lady. Like and, and Dinklage is like in an action movie inside the hotel room, held up against the wall, taking cover with his pistol. Yeah. Like, what what what's he pointing at? What's he looking at? Never mind that this movie doesn't understand genetics. It also doesn't understand that at hotels you can simply put a "do not disturb" hanging thing on the door, and then the cleaning lady can go home because she doesn't have to clean that room. It doesn't need to end. In a murder. Uh, they only had it for one night and they were past checkout time. Yes, right. This 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 statement of yours reeks of your privilege and says to me that you've never had to prepay for a hotel room and had a manager be very <laughs> unsure about whether or not you're gonna pay. Just for the go next give night. him an extra 90 bucks. Hey, again, not that kind like we can say not that kind of movie, not Listen, that kind of motel. The you last time I murdered a guy there. at a motel, it was with a it was with a uh, pillowcase full of sodas. So, surprised you didn't put a Gideon's Bible in there and whack yeah. somebody with it. I mean, That'd have been a better joke. Oh man! Well, alrighty, listener, we need to freshen up our glow sticks ahead of the competitive portion of the pod. We will see you on the flip side.
Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wobam Entertainment. It is finally time for the Rolf's Revenge Trivia Challenge. Gentlemen, it is our standard format, five questions, multiple choice, and tonight you'll be playing for the screen use hump, worn by Gary Oldman. Yeah, I can tell you're excited. Oh, hell yeah. I need some new shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. Where are those out on the ice? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's only one side, but I only check with my right shoulder. So exactly, as long good. as you're all you yeah. know, padded up on that right side, you're good to go. Yeah. Tonight's chime-ins are, I wish I had a fucking crepe, I'm a Marxist, <laughs> or any of the pod standards. I know what I am. <laughs> Yeah, I went with all Dinklage lines on the chimes. <laughs> They're the only quotable ones. Yeah. He is so like over the top French. He's he's more unbelievable than Sasha Baron Cohen in uh Talladega Nights. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me you think crepes are better than pancakes. <laughs> I spilled my macchiato. Uh we didn't talk about Dinklage's braids earlier either. I think oh, we did yeah. before the pod, but when he but goes when he... on spring break before the wedding. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because because Patricia Arquette has cornrows, so of course he yeah. has to he has, he has to, to get some white boy cornrows up too. Well, they're they're gone by the time he gets to the uh, the cabin at Big Bear, but uh, yeah, yeah, the braids were fantastic. They both uh, were on Girls Gone Wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, this movie. And I, I got to point out now too, because it doesn't come up later in that same scene where we see Dinklage and and uh, Arquette on their little blanket watching the uh, wedding. She's got a bottle of Jack Daniels in her hand because she's always carrying booze in the film. But if you look closely, it's not a real bottle of Jack Daniels. It says Jack Daniels on it. It's the black and white type label. But it says in big letters at the bottom, Kentucky whiskey. Are you telling me that Jack Daniels refused to sponsor this film? (laughs) I find that hard to believe. I love that they, they can pay for Gary Oldman's salary, but not the licensing from Jack. Yeah, well, I think it's so funny that it still said Jack Daniels, but it clearly says Kentucky whiskey on it. I'm like, wait, wait a minute, like, uh, I, I don't think I don't think Jack Daniels approved that. No, no, it's yeah, go, go back and watch it, folks, right before the wedding. I'm not, I'm not making this. Uh, you gotta watch when, it a third time now when they're yeah, essentially having forward. sex in public and feeding each other grapes. Yes, <laughs> get a lot of crotch shots of our kit in this too. A lot of upskirt stuff. Real weird. It's, by the director it's very strange yeah, yeah yeah again she should have fired her agent immediately okay question number one kate beckinsale agreed to star in the movie for scale pay on one condition and that was that she could do what a have a tramp stamp b wear her favorite hat c kiss gary oldman or d dye her hair oh god I'm just going to, I'm going to go with it. Uh, I know what I am. That's T-Dubs. Gary Oldman's her countryman. He was very famous. It's Kiss Gary Oldman. Mm. See, Kiss Gary Oldman. That is incorrect. I mean, I'd I'd work for scale if I could kiss Gary Oldman. I mean, I would too. I'd kiss Gary Oldman right on the mouth. Or on the strongest muscle in his body, for that matter. Oh, yeah. I almost used that for a chime-in, but that was a little long. Not sure where that line came from either. Um, I'm a Marxist. Well, there you go, Bling Blake. I'm going to go with hat. Hat. Yes, it was that goofy ass hat she wears for like two scenes. The one where yeah. she's where, when she goes in a, uh, a cost McConaughey at work. Mm-hmm. Oh that God. dumb beanie, the tube. Yeah. 
her yeah. and her outfits throughout the film are as odd as any Bizarre. costume yeah. choices. At one point, she's wearing a dog collar. Yeah. Uh, oh, she's supposed to be an artist, so I think that was her being weird. But no, sure. true story. That hat was a source of friction between the director and the producers because one of the producers' wives was like, "Get that hat off of her." And the director had to fight and say, no, 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 like she's going to cost a lot more money if she can't wear her hat. And so, we don't have that money. And we don't oh, have that I just money. want to object because Bling Blake is not a Marxist. He's part of the bourgeois bourgeoisie. So, <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. But that we're, is, cha- we're changing Bling Blake to Bougie Blake this week. Yeah, Bougie Blake. And that is one point for Bougie Blake. So he does take the lead. Okay, question number two. Tiptoes was not Bridget Powers' only mainstream film appearance in 2003. She also appeared in this David Ayer's pinned flick. Was it A, Training Day, B, The Fast and the Furious, C, SWAT, or D, Street Kings? I wish they had that fucking crit. That would be Bling Blake. SWAT. Yes, sir, that is. I love that fucking scene. They're, they're on Hollywood Boulevard, and she's like, I'm Bridget the Midget out here on Hollywood. Oh, you fucking pigs. Meh. I love that scene. It's a great scene. <laughs> oh, my God. Of course, it's <laughs> That's from a movie only Bling Blake likes that was later turned oh. into a fucking terrible CBS show. It was a show that. first. Yeah, yeah. But. yeah. Still, no, that's amazing, and that is two points for Bling Blake. Strong start here. All right, yeah, baby. Okay, no more questions that have CBS affiliated shows. Okay, attached. You you know, I'm gonna win all those. We've hit the quota there. Okay, question number three. Come on, D Dubs, you're getting skunked here. Uh, McConaughey and Oldman inexplicably played twins, even though Oldman is several years older than McConaughey. How much older is he? Is he a 11 years? Is he B, 14 years? Is he C, 19 years? Or is he D, 21 years older than me? I'm wrong. That would be T-Dubs. Ooh. Well, since you told us this That's last bullshit. night. Yeah, you it. the- <laughs> it's 11 years. It's 11 I'm le- years. 100%. I'm leaving it in there. I was not writing another question. No, it is 11 years. But it does look like 21, though. Yes, agreed. Uh, up, up until the point where McConaughey is like sweating profusely and yes. looks like he's been on a 48-hour cocaine binge. And he yeah, he's very bleary-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks rough at the end. Credit to McConaughey, he's given it his all. Uh, I'm not really sure why, though. Okay, well, that's one point for T-Dubs. Still got two points for Blaine Blake, so he holds on to the lead. Heading into question number four, Tiptoes was partially produced by John Langley, who created what staples of 90s television? Was it A, Party of Five, B, Seventh Heaven, C, The Practice, or D, Cops? Oh, God. These Somehow these all seem like they're possibilities, even cops, because of the prostitute fight. <laughs> <laughs> and Dinklage just... doesn't wear a shirt a lot. Yes, you know? yeah. He looks like he's ready to get arrested on an episode. Yeah, you know, he's just sleeping with a gun under his pillow. Yeah. All right. Well, I have the lead, so I'll take the bullet on this one. Okay. Uh, I wish I had the fucking crepe. All right, Bling Blake. God, this movie sucks. I'm going to go with Party of Five. Mm. Yeah, I mean, family friendly for sure, but no, that is not correct. T Dubs, can you steal and tie it up? Is it Seventh Heaven, The Practice, or Cops? You know what? I'm going to go with cops. 
It is cops. Oh, I figured that was a red herring. Damn it. Yeah, apparently uh, the director, you know, Matthew Bright, I guess he like was neighbors with the guy or something and just said, hey, man, you want to produce a movie? And he's like, yeah, why not? And it was How do domestic fact, disputes usually go? Because I yeah, I'm crafting a notes. scene. <laughs> yeah, but no, and it was Langley's wife that complained about Kate Beckinsale's hat. For the record, okay, this is a uh, competitive guys. We got this tied up, heading into question number five. Here it is for all the marbles and Gary Oldman's hump. Which need of that these, hump? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, easy there, Fergie. Which of these is not the title of an adult movie featuring Bridget Powers? Not the title of a movie featuring Bridget Powers. Well, good thing you're not taking this quiz. You'd be winning this one. Mm-hmm. A, you didn't have to look these up, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew these by heart. Um, a, a little fuck too. B, midget spinner. C, dwarf fuckers. Or D, assault on rectum 31. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm a Marxist. She's out. <laughs> I, that was hard to do with a straight face. Uh, I snorted. I snorted. <laughs> <It's laughs> I feel like it's midget spinners. B, midget spinner. That is correct. Yes! <laughs> and you are Damn the winner it. of the Rolf's Revenge Challenge. Enjoy your hump, sir. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, was that one not... Not that was not a real movie. I made that it's, one up. It sounded too much like the like old fidget uh, spinner, yeah. Viral yeah. website meat spin. Oh, if, uh, if anybody remembers, that. I just I just knew that her career in adult films was over by the time fidget spinners became a thing. Oh, well, I should have buzzed in. I should. I was too busy. I couldn't see, stop laughing. So that was definitely the pun I was going for. But spinners is a is a porn term. So I figured that oh, might kind okay. of camouflage well, a bit. You know? uh, <laughs> Salt on uh, rectum I, 31 was my I, was almost I saw that when I fell out of my chair. I was like, I got to use that. That's good. I'll be watching that later. Um, all right. Well, congratulations, Thunderous Wizard. You are the trivia challenge champ tonight. And that brings us to recommendations. And as always, as host, I'm going to go first because I'm selfish. And as we've talked about earlier, I am going to recommend proof that Matthew Bright can make a decent movie and that is 1996's Freeway, which you can find for free on where, Bling Blake? Ooh, Tubi! It is on Tubi. Yep. Um, it's an R-rated retelling or re- reimagining of the Little Red Riding Hood story. Um, and it's better than it sounds, uh, frankly. And it does star a very young Reese Witherspoon in her second role with Kiefer Sutherland, Brooke Shields, and a bunch of veteran character actors. Again, great cast. Uh, but this time, I think Matthew Bright was probably more in his wheelhouse because it's very much like a Tarantino-esque uh, California uh, gritty crime, you know, R-rated, uh, edgy 90s movie. Um, and it works. It's still a little campy. It's a little rough around the edges, but I can see why it's a small C cult movie. Um, and it's very much a product of those lawless ass 90s. It is a very 90s movie, which gives it some charm. Uh, to like you know your aging millennials and, and Gen X crowd, and it was basically released straight to HBO, but it has a seventy-seven percent uh, rating on Rotten Rotten Tomatoes, excuse me, and uh, I can say it makes for a decent palate cleanser after watching Tiptoes. So with that being said, check out Freeway, Bling Blake. What's your recommendation this week? 
I think I mentioned it earlier in the pod. Um, and that is a great movie from a young Peter SWAT. Dinklage. SWAT. Uh, uh, the, not not the movie, uh, the the later CBS television the, program. The CBS show, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, um, The Station Agent. Um, ah. It's a Peter Dinklage movie from 2003, same year this came out. Mm-hmm. With Bobby Cannavale, uh, Richard Kind, um, it's a it's a great movie. I really enjoyed it. I don't think you can find it anywhere free right now. The internet says Pluto TV. Uh, you can find it for free, but um, it's worth the rent. It's it's definitely a good movie. Hmm. And um, another this is another one just because Michael J. Anderson was on this. Obviously we all know him from twin peaks, uh, which is a great television show. We'll go down mm-hmm. in history as one of the best shows ever. Um, but another one that I liked that I wish had gotten a better chance, uh, but it got, I mean, it started out weird and then got really weird um, was carnival, which was an HBO mm-hmm. uh, series. Yeah. And uh, Michael J. Anderson is, is great in that. If you guys don't, He's Bruno. He's uh, he's McConaughey's dad in this one. Not, please don't watch this movie, um, but but watch uh, watch Twin Peaks, and uh, he's he's uh, in in the red room uh, and talks backwards and great. But yeah, yeah, Michael J. yeah he's he's the man from the other side or something like that. Yeah, his exactly. Character's name is yeah. Mm-hmm. Very very uh, memorable from Twin Peaks. So yeah, those are my two recommendations. Although I did think it was funny. I think I recommended Army of One, the Nick Cage movie, uh, a few weeks ago. And on my when I pulled up tiptoes on IMDb, that showed up on the more like this recommendations at the bottom oh, of the no. page. So I'll throw that out again there. Check out Army of One. It's definitely worth watching. Wow. All right. Oh, that's solid. That's solid. Thank you, Blaine Blake. What about you, T-Dubs? What's your recommendation this week? Uh, okay, so... Obviously, I, I recommended The Flash a few weeks ago. Now it's going to be out, so go see The Flash. Michael Keaton rules, and he is Batman. The Arnold documentary, three-part series on Netflix, was incredible. Um, I knew a lot of it because I read his autobiography, Total Recall, years ago. But to see it visually, um, I, I have you know I talk very fondly about Arnold on this podcast. He is my favorite action hero of all time and he means a great deal to me and that documentary was amazingly well done so check that out and also there's several movies we've done on the pod that are available on netflix now because they kind of have like arnold overload but end of days which your mileage will vary but i love it last action heroes on netflix check all those out secondly i was getting my indiana jones tattoo last night and we were watching renfield which the biggest problem with Renfield is that it's about Renfield. And every scene with just Renfield and Aquafina as his paramour, this policeman, are generally not very good, but everything with Nicolas Cage is phenomenal. And since it's only an hour and 30 minutes long and it's free on Peacock, check it out because Nicolas Cage is great. Much love for Nick on this pod. So yeah, those are my recommendations. No, right on. And I saw something online today that made me chuckle. Apparently, when Keaton was filming uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, as the vulture. Yes. Yeah, I saw this as well. Yeah. In his fight scenes with Tom Holland, he would whisper, I'm Batman. (laughs) That's great. I love it. I'm sorry. I I got a chuckle out of me. All right. He's He's a treasure. Yeah. Right. 
So anyway, solid uh, recommendations across the board there, gentlemen. Uh, so that does bring us to what's coming up next week. And we will be on a quest for peace with Nuclear Man and his sexy manicure as we take flight with the Thunderous Wizard and discuss Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. I have not seen this movie in like 30 years. Uh, so I've watched it fairly recently. And uh, there's a reason it's a WTF flop. And we'll talk yeah. about that when, when we get to the pod. But Blaine Blake, are you familiar with The Quest for Peace? I am. Uh, like you, I don't think I've watched it in 30 years. Uh, so as a little boy, I think I was probably just like, whatever, Superman, whatever. Mm, okay. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the thing that's always stuck out to me about this movie and definitely earns it its WTF status is the fact that they kept Gene Hackman's voice for Nuclear Man. And that's exactly why... And you know that because the budget gets was totally slashed yeah, and a which host is of funny other reasons, but because that that basically is a result of uh the the Masters of the Universe movie flopping. Yep. It kind of cut the legs out from underneath this one because and uh, it was canon films, right? Yeah, like tiptoes, there was apparently a much better cut of Superman 4 out there, but they could not finish the effects. And there is a Twitter account I follow that is like trying to finish the unfinished effects of Superman four to release it in its entirety. Okay. Now I don't think that'll ever happen because of rights issues and whatever else, but I mean, I would watch it for sure. So no, I I definitely remember this movie being bad as even as a kid. And I was like, Oh, this is not as good as, as," and I liked three, you know, three was fine Two two is tops in my opinion, but whatever. Okay. That's next week, folks, Superman four. And as always, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. Captain Cash, when he joins us, is at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social medias. And the Thunderous Wizard can be found on Twitter at WriterTLK. And don't forget about Bling Blake on the Twitters at Bling Blake. If you enjoy the pod, we'd appreciate it if you left us a review or drop us a line on the socials. And remember, listener, size only matters if you don't have a bitchin' three-wheeler and some morphine cough syrup. <laughs>